Welcome to the Faithful and True Podcast. As promised, we have returned with our special guests, uh, Russ and Susie Smith from the team here at Faithful and True, together with Dr. Greg Miller, our host. I'm Randy Everett, your co-host. And if you viewed or listened to our last podcast, uh, we started to hear how Russ and Susie have uh, the, the, the transformation that took place in their lives, going from uh, finding Faithful and True as clients going through the process of their healing journey and uh, having themselves evolve professionally into counselors and life coaches here at Faithful and True. Susie and Russ, welcome back. Good Thank to see you, you again. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Well, um, we left off last time, and I, I want to revisit it, this idea of um, not wanting to do our personal work through some sort of academic situation. Yeah. And so... Um, Susie, what was it like for you to start hearing principles and concepts academically that maybe you had heard in Mark and Deb say or allude to? Was there a tension there to continue to engage your journey as well as being introduced to principles of recovery through some sort of academic experience? Uh, yeah, Greg. By the time I was in school there... I knew that I was I was uh, in the mindset that recovery was going to be now forever mm. for me. I was going to be continuing to grow and learn things and um, not not stop, not right. say, okay, I've somehow arrived somewhere. Um, I like the humility that's in that, you know, even as I work with these women that, you know, I'm not someplace higher up than them. It's just a um, continued growth process. And so school was like that too. You know, some of what I, some of what I sat through in school, actually, I pretty much knew I wasn't going to face a lot if I worked in this field. I mm -hmm. hoped to work in this field. Um, some of the things were just really, really um, inspiring and exciting in my classes because they they were going to directly relate to the work I was going to do here. Mm -hmm. Did you did you kind of have any awareness within your own story from something that happened academically? Like, did you see yourself or your journey and going, oh, boy, that explains a lot? Um, interesting question. Um, I'm not sure. Okay. I'm not sure I had that experience. Well, you know, one of the things, and we kind of said this last time, is that the information cannot be a substitute for our personal journey of recovery. Right. And it can absolutely inform mm -hmm. our journey, you know, to get, be given new language, to be given a new understanding, um, to be introduced to a concept uh, may actually help me in my recovery. And I still have to choose to internalize it and use it experientially. Yeah, I actually just thought of it. Um, you know, there was a whole process as an, an entire class, actually, that was at my graduate school, and it was about um, early life recollections or mm. whatever. And don't we mm -hmm. talk about that a right. lot here? Um, that class really was, uh, we sat, we paired off with a fellow student and both, you know, told in detail these stories of our early lives and things that we came to learn from those experiences, mm -hmm. like the survivor chair, Right. right. How the how the childhood experiences create good things and also false beliefs and and so that was very much like what we do 
here? Well, you know, I know in, in seminary, I was introduced through a class. It was called the Theology of Pastoral Care, and I was introduced to narrative theology. Mm. And in that class, we had to create groups, tell stories. And it was really the first time I began to understand that the experiences of the past do inform our experiences in the mm. present. And it was amazing how just that awareness of, oh, the past does matter, would come back later in a significant way when I actually began my own journey of recovery. So it's yeah. kind of like an introduction that validated what I would experience later on. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. Well, um, Russ, what was it like for you watching Susie make a transition into something that she had passion about um, and um, was good at as you were continuing to serve in your profession? Well, I, I think, first of all, I was super proud. You know, I, I was very proud of how she did. Um, she was uh, one of the more mature students. <laughs> and, uh, and I think, uh, and had a lot more life experience and also experience in recovery. And so I think there were a lot of her cohorts that really looked to her uh, for support. And, uh, and some... I did feel like the mom in mm-hmm. some of my classes. Yeah. And... Uh, I don't know. I enjoyed working with her. I enjoyed the academic part of it, uh, um, secondhand. And uh, I don't know. I, I felt like it was actually a point at which uh, we were growing together. Um, you know, it wasn't like we had two separate learning processes. This was uh, kind of part of what we were doing together. And even though she was going to get licensed, I was still doing uh, groups with, with Mark. And um, uh, that was informing me, you know, it was helping me as well. It also helped me in my, my other job, uh, I thought, to, uh, to have that psychological information, which we don't get in medical schools. So, right. Yeah. Russ, was your relationship with Mark one of the motivating factors in wanting you to get more uh, involved in, in our line of work? Uh, I would say almost the... Yeah. Entirely almost. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, very much so, yeah. No, we... Yeah, it was an interesting process. You know, I was in group uh, every week with with Mark uh, in some capacity for eight years uh, before I finally talked to him and said, "You know, I think I'm ready finally to move out of group." And uh, and literally, when I I said that after group, he pulled me into his office and said, "I've been waiting for this. I'd like you to co-lead the group with me." And I said, wow, uh, I appreciate that, and I'm not sure I'm quite ready for that. Can I try, you know, doing, uh, you know, I, I know some guys I want to get together with, try and do it on my own. And that lasted a month, and I thought, uh, this is crazy. I have an opportunity to, to work with Mark. Why would I pass that up? And so then um, for another eight years, every, every Tuesday night, um, we would co-lead the group, and uh, he'd always call it co-leading. I never... <laughs> it that way, but uh, he insisted that to call it that. Uh, and then frequently uh, after group, we would sit in his office um, for a while and talk, and uh, those were really meaningful times. And uh, and he had a lot of encouragement for me and Susie to uh, kind of go into this work together. We had many discussions about that. So for a season, it seems like a long season, you were kind of living in two worlds. You had your day job mm-hmm. that was demanding and took a lot of energy and effort. And then you had this other opportunity here at Faithful and True. Did it feel like those two things worked together or were there times that it felt like they were almost oppositional to each other? No, I would say almost exclusively other than the time element, which I didn't 
I didn't mind at all. Um, it's a fair drive over here from where we live, but I didn't mind that. Um, I, I love coming here, and, and actually, I would say that um, did we talk about what my other job was? Mm-mm, not yet. Oh, okay. And you Should can I mention wait? it. No, no, no. We're ready. Oh, we, we've been very. <laughs> we've been building the anticipation. We didn't, uh, we didn't know. I'm a, I'm a physician by training. I'm a pediatrician, and so um, you know. It, I, I got into medicine for, I think, three reasons, uh, none of which I would uh, advocate. Uh, one is I'll say I was encouraged, strongly encouraged by my parents to go to medical school, and uh, I'll say it that way. And, uh, and then I, I like the, uh, the scientific aspect of it, the problem-solving aspect of it. And, uh, and I was uh, pretty competitive, uh, and at that time that was kind of uh, where the the, you know, that was the kind of highest attainment, at mm. least in my growing up. And so uh, that was not a good reason to go to medical school, as it turns out. Um, what, I, what I learned and what we know is that since sexual addiction is known as an intimacy disorder, it's also known as a, an empathy desert. Um, I just made that up. Mm. If it is. <laughs> can we quote you on that? Yeah, you can try it. It's your new book. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so... You know, one of the things that really happened um, in a good way is that I, I got much better in my physician role uh, in recovery. I became much more empathetic, much more open. Um, I had never in my life been somebody like Susie where people would come to me with, with problems and all of a sudden people were stopping by my office and saying, hey, can I talk to you? And uh, they didn't know about my recovery that I just had become a person that looked safe and talked in a safe way. And, that was a major deal for me. That was that was a big awakening for me, and it really helped me. Well, another thing that happened, if I can add, yes, you that without <laughs> without any marketing or any intention, really, yeah. all of a sudden, he started attracting kids to his practice who were struggling with depression, mm-hmm. anxiety, mm-hmm. ADD. His the second half of his practice really became. I don't know what percentage, but a huge percentage mental health. Mm-hmm. And that that was just not something that he tried, you tried to do, right? No, no, that was a word of mouth thing. Well, and what may also be true, though, is as you were growing in your own recovery and becoming aware of the mental health issues, you became more attentive to that in the patients that were coming and began to kind of explore that in their right. health. Mm-hmm. And then that began the word of mouth of this is a place to come where they pay attention to this or at least acknowledge this part of total health. Sure. Yeah, it was an interesting thing because I, I would see the origins of all those mental health issues in children, and then I'd go to group and I would see the result of all those mm-hmm. uh, difficulties in, in the adult issues that we deal with in, in addiction. Uh, so many uh, co-occurring things like uh, you know, most addicts uh, have some form of ADD, um, very frequently depression or anxiety, uh, some obsessive things. Uh, we've had some autistic guys that were undiagnosed. Um, we've had some guys with bipolar. And so, you know, mental health issues in addition to addiction are very are something we address pretty commonly, not as a physician, but as uh, support. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So you mentioned that these two realities, the being the physician, being here at Faithful and True, worked for the most part in harmony, and there was the time issue. Mm-hmm. And so how was it navigating your your time commitments 
um, in those early days when you were trying to be in both of these worlds? Um, that's a that's a hard question to answer. I well, I do. <laughs> I would love to. I can speak to that. <laughs> yeah, I'd love you, you know, he he uh, he got over here most of the time on time for Tuesday night group. Mark would say, <laughs> "Russ is sometimes late." He would say, "You know, after a work day." But then there was that season when I was an intern, where you um, he spent his day off here working with me with couples and. That was that was intense, you know. That was that was like five really long days of work each week that that did wear. Yeah, that's true. I, mean, I think. Did that answer your question? Mm -hmm. It did. Oh, great. Mm -hmm. So, at some point, did you begin to think, I would like to be at faithful and true more and be a physician less? Yeah, that was a titanic struggle. Um, Mark and I had many discussions about me going back to school uh, to become a psychiatrist. At one point, he really wanted to get his own uh, spec scan so he could do brain scans. Uh, and uh, I had to inform him that uh, in order to do that, I'd have to go into poverty for about four <laughs> years, and I wasn't able to do that. And that really was restricting. Um, you know, we had um, kind of had uh, financial obligations that... Uh, would be hard to meet for me to go go back to to be a student again. Um, and that was that was hard. I mean, that was really hard. And then you know, go back to counseling, go back to you know, be a CSAT, or go back to do all these other things. And um, uh, so I, I had a lot of. I really struggled with that because I think um, the other part of it was Susie definitely felt a calling, and initially I did not. I, I felt like my calling was to do exactly what I was doing, mm -hmm. and. Uh, I didn't view it as uh, who I was, you know, now. Um, you looked into a, gra a graduate degree, a master's degree in counseling, and even took a couple classes at Adler. Mm -hmm. yeah. And um, it, it's, been a, it's been quite a process of wrestling with what's the right mm -hmm. way to do this. Yeah. Well, and you, you mentioned something that I think is valid and many people struggle with is when you want to make a change somewhere in your older years, um, at that point, you have created a lifestyle. You do have financial commitments. You do have this income that you have been counting on. And the, the assumption all along is we could continue to count on that. And so the idea for those of people who are considering a change of stepping away from that and um, going back to school or doing something else is a huge risk. And so figuring out how we navigate that can be incredibly complex. It is absolutely a part of the equation. Mm -hmm. It's kind of that question of what is possible given our current circumstances. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's been, all, all these factors came together, I guess, for me to want to do this and to, to retire from uh, being a physician here at the end of the month and, uh, and come on here full time. Um, or with Susie, uh, and um, I think part of that was COVID-influenced. Um, that was such a stressful time uh, as a physician, and uh, the amount of mental health needs kind of skyrocketing, and uh, 
uh, I don't know, it, it, I, don't, I can't pinpoint a specific time, but sometime in that COVID period, it became pretty clear to me that I needed to stop doing that and start doing this. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and that really felt like something I, I want, really wanted to engage in. Well, one of the things that I absolutely believe is that God is a steward of all of our resources. So all of our experiences, all of the, the things that we are aware of, we know we've been exposed to, when we bring them to God, that God maximizes those. Hmm. And so what is interesting about this transition for you is all that experience that you had working with children as a physician is easily and beautifully going to play into your work going forward because the principle is you're working with adults now, but at one point we were all children. And so your understanding of that childhood experience through the lens of a physician is really going to be incredibly helpful um, for you going forward, I think. Yeah, I I think one of the things you learn is that um, it's really easy to write a prescription it's really hard to talk to people. Mm-hmm. And, um, and uh, you know, I, I think um, there, are, there are certainly times where medication is, is necessary even, uh, and helpful. And there are a lot of times where um, you need to have something else too. And, and that's the part I think that most people really struggle with getting. And that's um, kind of help with their, um, kind of who they are, you know, their personhood. And that's really changed how I've looked at, at my job, um, to be able to look at people as people and not as problems to solve. And, uh, and I think, you know, I, I do think I bring a lot of different uh, kind of things to the table. I learned a lot just observing Mark for 16 years and working with him and, and picking his brain and, um, you know, learning through, through that experience. Um, and I don't know, I don't know... Uh, why Susie got called before I did. You know, I, don't, I just don't. Um, used to not like that very much that uh, I was working here and I didn't feel it was a calling. But I, I felt more like it was something I enjoyed. Uh, I felt like it was, I was being helpful. Um, well, what if it was at that point an opportunity? Yeah. And it was a great opportunity. And so you stewarded the opportunity that you were given. It made sense. Yeah. Well, I think that's what Susie says. You know, to, to have a master plan is, is maybe not so good. I remember when, and I hear this a lot from guys too, when, when you first start this recovery process, the first thing I want to do is write a book. Right. And, and I remember talking to, I don't I must talk to 10 or 12 people about that, some big pastors in town here and things like that. And, you know, this idea that, oh, you know, I've discovered this. I want everybody to know it too. And I was ready to do that. That's, uh, that was crazy. But, um, so, you know, it just wasn't a time. And I think if we have patience and we continue to, uh, listen and not, and not push away suggestions, um, I think ultimately we can feel good about making decisions. It's not without some trepidation. Uh, I go into what we're doing. (laughs) Well, and you know, part of it is identity. I didn't think it would bother me to not, um, uh, be a physician. Uh, but I've, I've had to humbly say it, it has made a difference to, to say I'm, you know, a coach. Mm-hmm. You know, that's, that's who I am as a worker now and, uh, and realize that that's, you know, we're not who we, not, we're not what we do. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're who we are. And I, so I, I like the idea of the t- bringing the totality of my experiences and self and um, personality and all of those experiences to, uh, 
to try and help people that are struggling with the same thing that, that I did and do. So we alluded to it, but let's just say it clearly. So the plan is you are retiring from being a physician at the end of 2021 and coming full-time here at Faithful and True starting in January of 2022. That is correct. So that's big. It's exciting. It is big. Yeah, it's really, really exciting for me. It is big. I I think about um, being out for a walk in the neighborhoods during COVID, you know, during the whole really intense shutdown. And on on one of those walks, um, that was the conversation of that this has become a calling for Mm -hmm. us. And um, that's that's the memory I have anyway. And now it's just been these months of trying to figure out how to make it happen. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I think that idea for many of us, the title that we have or what we do, the, the status that we get from our profession, um, sometimes is more subtle than we're aware of. But then mm-hmm. when we go through these transitions and something is exposed we begin to recognize how much of our value and identity was attached to this title that we have. And so living in the truth, whatever the truth is, is part of what brings freedom. I am not my title, whatever it is. And my value, my identity don't come from what I do. Um, And this is a way that I can be a part of this redemptive process for couples and for men. It was embarrassing to me to come to that realization that it did mean something. Mm -hmm. I mean, I really never thought it did. Um, It wasn't that big a deal. I didn't insist on people calling me doctor ever. and um, Neither did my dad, for that matter. But uh, it was embarrassing to realize, you know what, this this is a a status thing for me that I'm not... um, Acknowledging, and I need to acknowledge that. I mm-hmm. need to accept the fact that uh, that's there's a pride element to that. I need to give up, and uh, and that was really freeing, actually, to finally come to that realization and fully say, you know what, it really is not who I am. You know, I'm I'm outside that. I'm a person outside of what I do, mm-hmm. uh, and that was I don't know. That was really liberating to be able to say. That. So let me get this straight. After this announcement, and knowing that you and I share a love of sports. Uh, does that mean starting January 1st, we get have to call you coach? <laughs> coach Russ? Yeah, Coach yeah. Russ. Well, you know, I... I, I always, well, you have a whistle on a string around your neck. Well, uh, I've, I've always said that I prefer to be called Admiral. Oh. <laughs> uh, if I had any title oh. at all. Uh, no, I don't. Well, Just when, Russ, I think. Oh, okay. Yeah. When, one thing I would encourage you to pay attention to is the grief You know, um, this idea that anytime there's loss, there's grief, and the greater the loss, the greater the grief. Mm -hmm. And even if we're making the choice, even if Mm -hmm. we're choosing something and we're moving towards something that is really good, Mm -hmm. you are also leaving something that has been significant and meaningful and Mm -hmm. redemptive and healing for all of those patients and all of those experiences. And so just giving yourself permission to acknowledge that loss and that grief um, I think will be huge. And that many times is a piece that we miss, you know, especially if we made the choice and we're moving towards something that we perceive as good, we're kind of surprised that there would be grief. I agree with and that. And yet there yeah. will be. Yeah. yeah. That's happened since the letter went out, you know, and so every every patient I see now is, you know, I'm saying goodbye to. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and that's been both um, heartwarming. You know, I... I <laughs> 
I had a 16 year old the other day that just looked me right in the eyes and said, I'm really going to miss you. <laughs> and uh, I thought that was really sweet. And 16 year olds don't typically miss <laughs> adults. <laughs> I'm a 16 year old yeah, like. I was, I was surprised by that. But yeah, so it's, it's bittersweet that way. And, and Susie's mentioned multiple times I'm going to miss. You know, the silly and funny things, you know, kids say mm-hmm. all the time, you mm-hmm. know, and um, that's something I think I've taken for granted a little bit o- over the years that I've been able to interact with so many um, wonderful uh, kids. And uh, I don't know. Well, I, I agree with the grieving part but, mm-hmm. uh, that by far uh, out- outweighed by the excitement. Of mm-hmm. Well, it is very exciting for us. Very for exciting, the two of yeah. you to be here, to be available, to be full-time, what it's going to mean to more men that we can work with, more couples that we can partner with and work with. So it's very exciting for us. And it it is meaningful to be able to say that there is this calling part of it, that there is this mm-hmm. invitation from God that this is the place for you to be. Mm-hmm. And um, God's activity, God's purpose, God's meaning is all found in that calling. It's also very meaningful uh, as we're working with clients to be able to reference your that you two have a healing journey mm-hmm. as part of your story. So uh, as you have shared with us on these two podcasts what that transition has been like, um, we're blessed at Faithful and True that we've got team members like the Smiths and the Hardesties and you and Beth where they they have their healing journey story, which makes you so relatable to the people that you help. Hmm. You know, we get, I guess it doesn't get broadcast very often, but we get tons of really uh, compliments and affirmations uh, from the people who are working with you. So you're making a big difference in helping those people. And we thank you for joining Thanks, us Sandy. on on the podcast. This has been a lot of fun to to uh, kind of uh, explore the uh, the behind the scenes look of what that was like for you guys as a couple and as uh, you know re- recovering individuals and uh, kind of elevating yourself to a, a new profession, new line of work. And we're glad that it's with us here at Faithful and True. <laughs> so, Thanks. Thank you. thank you. We'd like to thank all of you for watching and listening today to the Faithful and True podcast. Greg, did you have any, you almost always have a pearl of wisdom to uh, leave us with. Well, you know, I would say that the invitation for all of us is to continue to listen to what it is that God is doing. Yeah. And I often pray for men that they will hear clearly whatever the next right step is for them and that they will have the courage and the capacity to choose it. Yeah. We appreciate that. I knew it would be a pearl of wisdom. I just, I just, I could feel it coming. Uh, once again, thank you very much. Uh, we look forward to seeing you again soon. We hope that uh, if you're a man out there struggling, we uh, invite you to go to faithfulandtrue.com. Take a look at the uh, men's workshop coming up. We've got some big announcements coming up for January. Russ is not the only one with a great big announcement. Uh, in January, we're going to be launching a brand new brand of uh, Faithful and True. We're excited about a new website, a new logo, uh, all of that good stuff. So we're going to be talking more about that in upcoming podcasts. Uh, In the meantime, we hope that this coming week is going to be a week for you that's filled with great blessings and great vision.